Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, a like or a, a comment would be great. And if you're listening to the podcast, well, a review would be helpful. Again, uh, well, today my guest is Kelly Karlstrom. She's a pharmacist and has found her niche training other pharmacists about oncology. Didn't know pharmacy and oncology could be in the same sentence? Well, you know now. <laughs> as part of owning her own business, Kelly C. PharmD, she is active on LinkedIn as a creator and attends many conferences to network. Want to get better at LinkedIn or networking? Then you're in the right place. So welcome to the Teach the Geek interviews, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me, Neil. I'm excited to chat with you today about this. Wonderful. So before, well, I guess the first question I have is what drew you to pharmacy in the first place? Oh, wow. That was a long time ago. So I didn't know much about pharmacy when I was younger. I was very interested in science and math in high school, but I didn't have any anybody I knew that was in pharmacy or really in a healthcare profession. Um, so I stumbled along in some different areas of practice. And then um, I met some pharmacists working as a technician. That's how I got started in pharmacy. I was a technician at a grocery store uh, chain pharmacy. And uh, transitioned into working at a Kaiser Permanente, which in the pharmacy world is kind of the best side of, of retail pharmacy, if you will, because they're a closed system. So you only have to work with the Kaiser insurance. You don't have to work with all the other commercial insurances. And it was just such a great opportunity and experience. I got to meet a lot of other pharmacists that had been there for a long time, and they encouraged me to go to pharmacy school. And the rest is history, as they say. Okay, nice. But, uh, you know, I also did mention that your specialty is in oncology. So what was the motivation to go into that specialty? Yes. Oncology is not where I thought it would end up. Let me tell you, <laughs> it was not my favorite subject in pharmacy school. And that's because it's really hard to learn oncology, lots of immunology, lots of complex science. And I graduated in 2010. And even back then, I mean, since then, oncology has exploded in the past decade. Um, there was still a lot going on when I was in school, but it's even more challenging now. And I ended up in it because during my last year of pharmacy school, when we're in clinical rotations, my grandmother got AML, acute myeloid leukemia. And I was the only one in healthcare in my family at the time. And I got a crash course in all things leukemia and cancer and bone marrow transplant, which is a treatment she ended up receiving. And that really changed the trajectory of my career. I went on to do postgraduate residency training, which is um, not required in pharmacy like it is in medicine. It's um, people want to do it if they if they want kind of a stepping ladder and to get into specific specialties or get extra mentoring, extra time, kind of learning the nuances of pharmacy. And I went in and I went on and did two years of residency. And then my second year was specializing in oncology and I've been in oncology and loving it ever since. Okay. That's great. You know, you know, Kelly, when it comes to pharmacists, when I think at least for myself, when I think of a pharmacist, I think of the person at the CVS. You know, you got your you have your your prescription. You give it to them. They give you the drug, and you leave. <laughs> but when 
<laughs> but I, I've never really thought about pharmacy from any other angle. So if, if you're a person who is a pharmacist and you specialize in oncology, what kind of work do you do? Yeah, there's so many opportunities in oncology for pharmacists, Neil. I mean, and it is, it's exploding kind of every year. So the typical place where pharmacists work in oncology are in cancer centers. So that could be in a large academic center, like the big cancer centers of the country, like MD Anderson in Texas or Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. But there's more than 1,500 cancer centers across this country that are accredited. And that's a lot of cancer centers. So think about how many states we have and how many cancer centers we have. And that's often not even including the small kind of private practice uh, settings that are still that are still practicing and, and taking care of patients with cancer. So there's a lot of cancer centers and especially the big ones. They employ a lot of pharmacists, both in roles uh, compounding chemotherapy. So some of our chemotherapy comes kind of ready to administer, if you will. Um, and some of it needs to be compounded in a clean room by a pharmacist. So a lot of a lot of pharmacists work in that role. Pharmacists work in what are called clinical specialist role. That's uh, one that I've done in the past where you work in a pretty niche area. I worked in bone marrow transplant and I was part of the medical team. So I rounded on patients. I saw patients in clinic. I helped physicians determine best treatments. I helped manage toxicities. I did a lot of patient counseling a lot of one-on-one -on -one, um, patient care roles in oncology pharmacy, but there's also a lot of other types of roles. We have specialty pharmacy is a big one where oncology pharmacists work. So these are pharmacies that are similar to what you were thinking, where you go in and you get your, your oral medication filled, but they call them specialty pharmacies because they dispense specialty drugs and specialty here in the U.S. typically means really expensive. <laughs> and most of oncology drugs, especially the oral drugs are really expensive. So they get dispensed through these specialty pharmacies. And the pharmacists that work there work with the patients a lot on the telephone. They call them and say, hey, we're ready to ship you out this prescription. Uh, they do assessments. They find out how the patient's doing, what toxicities they had in the last cycle, and really help them navigate the process of taking their own chemotherapy at home, which is what they do when, when you get an oral chemotherapy. So those are kind of the common patient facing roles, but there's actually a lot of stuff behind the scenes too. Uh, there's pharmacists that work in informatics. So that's the technical side behind healthcare, whether that is building treatment plans and the electronic medical records or, or other technical components. I've done work on the clinical content side, working at technology startup companies. There's people that work for insurance companies that specialize in cancer. I mean, I could, I could keep going on. There's so many opportunities. Wow, I I had no idea that pharmacy could be that diverse. If if you're if anyone who's listening or watching our our conversation, Kelly was even thinking about getting into pharmacy, how would you suggest they, they go about doing it? Uh, getting into pharmacy. So what I would do is there because there's so many different areas of pharmacy, I would start asking around as we're talking about networking today, right? So it's all about kind of figuring out who has information that could be valuable to you. So start asking around, do you know anyone that works in pharmacy? And try start making some of those connections and really try to understand what is it about the different roles in pharmacy that appeal to you? Because there's so many different roles. And again, oncology is one niche, but there's so many others like infectious disease. Obviously that was a big uh, player during COVID. There are had, and that actually has to do with Kelly C. PharmD. What was the motivation to start your own, your own business? 
Sure. Yeah. So I never imagined I would start a business. Honestly, it was not on my professional bingo card, uh, but how it came about was I, I was, I've been active on LinkedIn for many years and I started getting a lot of messages from other pharmacists that are working in oncology and they were looking for resources to learn. So these are pharmacists that were typically working at the smaller community cancer centers were not residency trained, like how I got into oncology with my postgrad training. They were kind of in the right place at the right time. There was an opening. They raised their hand and said they they'd be willing to work in oncology, which as a as a point to make, that is a really um, uncommon thing for pharmacists to do because oncology is very scary for most of us, you know, dealing with chemotherapy and all the complications of chemotherapy and how um how toxic these drugs can be, you know, oncology typically gets people to kind of back away from that specialty. So these are pharmacists that have leaned in and have said, yeah, I can do this. I can learn it. And we're trying to figure out how to actually learn the content on their own. And so I would send them a lot of resources, you know, a handful of websites or guideline articles or YouTube videos, things like that. And uh, I would just, I had kind of a uh, a standard reply. I was getting so many of these messages that I would just copy and paste it. Here's a, here's my kind of standard resource list. And I just kept getting so many of those messages that I realized, okay, there's obviously a gap here. And what is filling this gap? Is there anything filling this gap? And I realized there was not anything that was specific for these pharmacists. So I took some time to really noodle on it and think on what, what could I do? I knew I had the knowledge, I had the the background and the training uh, that I could do it, but how would I structure it? And, and how could I offer the best support to these pharmacists? And, and that was kind of how my company got started and how it's been growing now into um, 2024, I'll be five years. So I'm about four and a half years right now. Wonderful. That's great. Congratulations on, on making it almost to your, your five-year anniversary. That's Thank great. You. Wonderful. So, I mean, I mentioned in the intro that, that you, you create a lot of content on LinkedIn. So how does LinkedIn figure into your, your business strategy for Kelly C. PharmD? LinkedIn is a really important part of my strategy, both from my business strategy, but also my professional as a pharmacist strategy. And that's because I've realized over the years how important our networks are. You know, a lot of a lot of jobs, you get a lot of jobs through your network, not so much kind of cold applying to jobs. I think a lot of us realize that now, um, but it's it's kind of a, uh, a difficult thing for a lot of people to wrap their head around is this networking word. And there was actually a post last week on LinkedIn where we were chatting about this. And I'm like, maybe it's the word networking that people just don't really like. <laughs> it doesn't resonate. So we need another word. I suggested maybe we call it socializing because kind of just like socializing where you meet people and you have conversations and you see if you can help them with something. Um, so yeah, I, I do a lot on LinkedIn. I do a lot of content creation. So I post a lot of um, uh, individual posts about oncology to help people learn oncology. So little nuggets, clinical pearls, motivational posts, things to remind people that oncology is hard. You can't eat the whole elephant at once, as they say. It's really about taking little pieces of it and breaking it down. And it takes time. This is what people, I think, you know, we, we all, we all want to get to the end goal as fast as possible. And that's just not, that's not going to happen in oncology because the, there's so many diseases. They're all different. There's so many different treatments. 
we get a new drug approved or something changes in the label almost every week in oncology. I mean, it's really, really difficult to keep up. So a lot of my content is based around helping people learn the nuances of oncology and help them understand that you're running a marathon here. Nice. That's excellent. So, I mean, you you certainly mentioned networking and the idea of going to conferences to network is, is something that many of us have done in the past. Certainly it's something that I've done. And in, in fact, I was, I'd argue that so many people, the reason they go to a lot of these conferences is for networking, socializing, whatever word makes you comfortable. So when it comes to going to conferences to, to network, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, I, there, I have a, I have a strategy for conference networking and I'll tell you in the past, I would go for, I would go to conferences for the content, like the educational sessions. I would go to learn. I don't go for the content anymore. In fact, I was just joking with a colleague of mine that in pharmacy, we have continuing education credits. We have to get every year to maintain our license. And I have three times as much as I need this year. And, and I still went to four other conferences. I didn't even apply my credit because I've been to so many of these conferences and I go, sure, I'll go to sessions and I'll kind of absorb what they're talking about, but I go for the time in between the sessions. So if we're thinking about strategy, if we back up a little bit, this is how I think about conference strategy. First is to do some homework ahead of time. So really assessing, okay, what are my goals at this conference? Maybe it is to learn all of the content that's in the sessions, but maybe it's to, I'm looking for a new opportunity or I'm looking to network with XYZ people that are in this specialty because I don't know anything about it and I want to learn a little bit more. So, you know, understanding what what do you want to get at the end of this conference? And then research the sessions that are there. What, what types of, of educational content will be presented? And if possible, who were the attendees? So I, I went to one in this summer uh, for oncology pharmacists, and they share, um, they share the attendee list ahead of time. Now, sometimes that can be super overwhelming if you have hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of attendees. So you can't go through everything. But it's worth kind of glancing at the the attendee list and seeing if you can research some of those people ahead of time. Definitely the presenters. I would look up who the presenters are ahead of time. Uh, Also, I would think about planning your schedule. Um, You know, a lot of the conference apps these days let you kind of make your own schedule and add the sessions you want to go to your calendar because sessions can get or the conferences can get super overwhelming really quick. And then when you're there and you're in the middle of it, you don't want to be scrolling through 15 sessions trying to figure out what you're going to. So doing some planning ahead of time. So that's kind of what I do before I get to a conference. And then thinking about the strategy piece of the conference is, so we've set some goals for what we want to get out of the conference, but also set some goals for specific number of people you want to meet. So say, you know, and this kind of depends too on what your overall goals are. And if you are, if you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert or somewhere in the middle, um, but you know, a good, I think a good place to start is five people thinking of five people that you want to connect with. It's like a manageable number. It's not super overwhelming. You're not going to have to meet a hundred people, but it's really planning ahead. Who might those five people be that you want to meet with? Think about how you're going to have some of these conversations. So everybody should have an elevator pitch, um, which is kind of a weird term, right? But it's really just like, how do you explain what you do to somebody in a way that creates some curiosity, in a way that they would look at you and be like, huh, that's really interesting. 
tell me more about that. You know, what, what, how could you describe your role in a way that, that sparks some curiosity and think about questions you could ask other people instead of the, you know, well, what do you do? (laughs) Think about, you know, what brought you to this conference? What are you working on that you're excited about right now? Or, Hey, have you read any good books lately or listened to any good podcasts? You know, think about ways to engage conversation. And also plan for the unplanned networking. This is where I think the the gems are when you're standing in the registration line or you're standing in the lunch line. Maybe you're maybe you're um, you know, you're you're looking for someplace to sit. Um, I would never go to an empty table. I always find a table that has people and I would say, Hey, can I join you? And I introduce myself and I start chit-chatting before the session starts. So I think those are some things to do as you're like preparing for the session or for the conferences. And then it's really all about execution and what what you're, how you're going to form some of those relationships and how you can help, um, how you can help yourself stand out, if you will. Like I, there's a, a speaker, a professional speaker who posts on LinkedIn a lot. His name's Robbie Samuels. And he had this great analogy of be a croissant not a bagel. I think he said bagel. Maybe it was donut. (laughs) But essentially it was like when you're standing in a group of people, you know, and you're having a conversation, be a croissant and have like the open ends of the people. Don't be just in one closed off circle because that doesn't invite other people to come talk with you. So always kind of like move your body language open a little bit so other people can come in and join your conversation. Got so that's it. one one tip I really like. <laughs> Croissant, not bagel. All right, I, I got it. <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> I, I, the visual actually helps, and just kind of you know just seeing what that what that meant. Yeah, I I fully agree with what you're talking about, Kelly. And, and what, here's here's something that I often struggle with. So I'm I'm curious to see what what you have to say about it. Starting conversations is fine. What about ending them? How, how do you go about mm-hmm. ending conversations so you can go speak to somebody else? Yeah, I love this one. So, and it's important to think too, like don't overstay your welcome because everybody's kind of, there's a lot going on at conferences, right? And and be prepared for interruptions because inevitably that's going to happen in probably almost every conversation. Somebody's going to come up and tap the other person you're talking to on the shoulder and they'll be like, oh, you're my long lost friend from grad school. I haven't seen you in a decade. You know, everybody's going to get pulled in different directions. But one thing that I think this also came from Robbie Samuels that I thought was really helpful is thinking of a question that helps kind of steer towards the end of of the conversation, which was, hey, I don't know that many people here. Is there anyone that you think I should meet? That not only like helps signify, hey, we're wrapping up this conversation, but it also might get you an additional connection. And they'll be like, oh, so-and-so over here in the in the blue blazer, you know, they would be a good person to talk to because they're also interested in, in ABC that you were talking about. Okay. Um, I think another one is to connect with them on LinkedIn. So say, hey, it was so nice chatting with you and meeting you here. Are you on LinkedIn? I would love to connect with you right now. And by right now, I mean, I pull out my phone and do it right then because you're not going to remember later. <laughs> And I, I always will kind of bring up the, um, the connection message. And this is a little tricky on the app. So you have to press the three dots because the default connect button will just send an immediate connection, but won't send a message. 
So you have to do the personalized invite. And I always try to do that because a week from now, you're going to forget where you met this person. <laughs> but if you write a little message and say, hey, Neil, it was so great to meet you at this conference. Uh, then, you know, four months from now, if they pop up in your feed again, you'll get that message and say, oh, yeah, we connected at that conference. I forgot about that. It's a really good context later. Yeah, 100 percent. All right. So now if, for anyone who's, who's, who's tuning into this conversation, they know when someone mentions LinkedIn, you know, it's, it's, it's wrap up time. <laughs> you know you know what time it is <laughs> that's wonderful yeah that's that's great i i really like the, the suggestion also of of asking if there's anyone else that you think that, you, that 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 person should meet or that i should meet i think that that's a good that's a good question to even ask just like you said it, it now you, you're this person's helping you expand your network possibly by suggesting other names. Yeah, that guy over in the blue shirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, blue shirt guy. Wonderful. I'm gonna go talk to him now. <laughs> good, good, good talking to you. Oh, before I leave though, let me get that LinkedIn. Yeah, I uh -huh. like that. We can combine both of them. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm learning now, boy. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll say too that some conferences have a buddy system. I know one of the oncology pharmacist conferences I go to every year. They have a buddy system, and not a lot of people take them up on it. And so I would encourage you to look at conferences and see if they have some sort of matching because I was matched with several people and I just took them around with me and introduced them to everybody I know. And it was very helpful for them to get exposure, not just to the meeting and how the meeting was set up and structured, but also like immediate access to my network and the people that I know. So that's a great tip too, both for conference organizers. If you're doing a conference and you don't have a buddy system, consider putting one in. Oh, yeah. I experienced that for the first time last year. I attended a, a conference put on by the National Speakers Association, and they had a, a buddy system, a buddy program. And I was matched up with somebody that had, had attended. I think you have to have attended at least a couple of those that, that meeting before. And so I was matched up with that person. And essentially, that's exactly what happened. I, I, I hung out with them for a bit. They, they introduced me to a few people, which was really nice. If you're one of the person, if you're the person though that is the more experienced person, what do you get out of being buddied with somebody who's a newbie? I get a lot out of it because I really enjoy networking and I like learning where other people are coming from, what their background is. So we have to remember that everybody has uh, an area of expertise that you can learn about. So even if they're new to this conference or they're maybe new to your specific niche or industry, they have some other experience in their professional journey that I'm sure you can benefit from. Yeah. I, I heard somebody recently on a podcast talking about um, everybody has, or there's, there's somebody that has a key to what you need in their pocket. So it's like trying to figure out what information do they have that could unlock something for you? And it's not going to be every conversation you have, but you might be surprised. You might be surprised who they know or where they've worked or what industry they're also kind of parallel connected to that could benefit you or give you more insight into something you've been looking into. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Oh, when I, You know what? I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but have you ever been at a conference or just in a networking event period? And you're speaking to somebody and you get the sense that they're speaking to you because they're trying to figure out what you can do for them. And it's, it's it, it, at least for me, it could rather be rather, it could be quite unsettling, especially if they're, if they, if they get the sense, maybe a, a few minutes within into the conversation that I'm not sure this person could do anything for me. I'm not sure this person can buy whatever I'm selling or, you know, just do anything for me, period. So now I'm, I'm looking over the shoulder to see who else I could be. And I'm, I'm getting to that LinkedIn question. You, you ever, you ever yeah. been in that kind of situation? And if so, how do you deal with I those? I have. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of the equivalent to like the spammy messages on LinkedIn. As soon as you connect with somebody and you get a message that tries to sell you something. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it's again, just trying to listen more than you talk. So maybe ask some questions and trying to figure out, you know, is there anything that you could learn from this person? And, you know, not everybody's going to be, uh, a useful, um, connection at events like this, but it, 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 I think of it as practice. At least you get more interaction with people. You get to kind of work out some of those cobwebs of that the um, kind of small talk and, you know, try to wrap it up as soon as you can and, and move on because not every, not everybody's going to be a, a win in the networking department. Yeah. 100%. This has been a really great conversation, Kelly. Thank you so much for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? LinkedIn is definitely a great place because that's where I hang out all the time. Excellent. All right. LinkedIn it is. And this has been a great conversation. As I've mentioned, it's been a great conversation. Thanks again for being a guest. Uh, for the people that are that are, that are still here, <laughs> this, this marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. I work with technical professionals so they can present more effectively, especially in front of non-technical audiences. And you can learn more about that at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Kelly. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.